0: In January of this year, we actually welcomed our um, second baby, a little girl named Farah, who is a sweet angel. However, she is in the four-month sleep regression. I did get up every single hour last night. I am exhausted, but I am believing and praying that if I am not coherent, God will translate, okay? Someone will stand up and interpret. It'll be great. That's not really biblical, so hopefully not, but you get what I'm saying. Anyway, that's a little bit about who we are, if you're wondering who this chick is on the stage. And I am so happy to be here to speak to Mother's Day. We are going to jump into the Bible. It's going to be great. But I do obviously want to take a moment to acknowledge the mothers here to honor you. Um, we know that it is an absolutely rewarding, beautiful, wonderful, incredible job. And I mean, I've been doing it for five minutes compared to some of you. So who am I to say anything? But I'm loving it so far. But it is also challenging. It also takes a lot of self-sacrifice. Um, Yep, <laughs> all the things. It is the perfect opportunity for the Lord to refine us. It's great. Um, so we want to take a moment to honor you in that, to tell you that like, you are seen, that you are loved, that you are appreciated, even when you don't feel it. And even if you don't feel it from within your family members, please know that the Lord sees you and that he's given you this holy purpose, regardless of if your kids are, like, fresh out of the womb or if they are, like, grown, popping out babies of their own, Okay? So know that. Can we just take a moment and actually do a round of applause just for the moms? Beautiful. Well deserved. I also want to take a moment to acknowledge my mother-in-law, who I love dearly, and oh my gosh, the hormones. Ugh. Um, I hope to be half the mother you are. Anyway, I don't want to cry. So we're gonna move forward a little bit here, guys. Um, before I move forward, though, I also want to acknowledge that this holiday for a lot of people is incredibly difficult. Whether or not you know your mother or your children, like you have, you have experienced loss. Whether or not perhaps they are on this earth, but the relationship is lost or perhaps strained. Or perhaps you're on a journey of just desperately wanting to have that title of mother, to have that baby in your arms, but you haven't seen that dream dream come to fruition. Um, I just again want to remind you that the Lord sees it. I can't help but think of the story of Hannah. Hannah, um, in 1 Samuel, when she is literally like on her knees in a place of worship, just so just giving it all to the Lord to the point, like just sobbing her eyes out to the point where. Eli the priest thinks she's drunk um, and I just think like if in those quiet moments when the pain is just that intense when the wanting and the longing is that intense just know that the Lord in the same way that he saw Hannah and honored it he will he sees you and he will honor you I um, he's with you so let's just take a moment to pray really quickly okay Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together, to dig into your word, and to dive into the topic of identity. I just pray for the mothers here that heart, that's hearts are heavy, or for the children whose hearts are heavy because of their relationship with their mother, um, or lack thereof. I just pray that you'll be present and you'll be with them. I pray that moms here today who might feel um, just wary, that they'll get a new, a new experience of your presence, Lord. <laughs> Um, And I just pray for everybody else who is here that whatever needs to be said will be said and that your voice will be heard and mine will be quieted, Lord, um, and that we'll leave here all encouraged and edified. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, time for the Bible. I've been yammering on enough. Just kidding. I still have a lot more yammering to do. Um, Also, I do apologize. I know I speak at the speed of light and I actually, in my mind right now, I am going slow motion. But for you, you're like, I'm going to have to watch this on demand and like put it on half speed because, and that's okay. That's okay. I pray that the Lord will honor the time here while you have no idea what I'm saying. Or again, he'll interpret, translate. It's great. All right. So the scripture we're going to be jumping into is Genesis 29, verse 31 onwards. Um, It's going to be actually the story of Leah and Rachel. But before we get into that, I'm going to give a little bit of background because I think it's super important just to be refreshed. You might have heard this story so many times, but it's good to be refreshed on like the context of what was going on in scripture around that. Um, But even more so before that, we're just going to take a moment to talk about identity because Thank you so much, Pastor Matt, for giving me a word and a term that is so incredibly vague. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) No, just kidding. It's it's a very, very important topic to talk about. But it is so vague. And it's also like a buzzword in culture and in Christian culture. When we talk about like having your identity rooted in Christ, what in the world does that actually mean? It's kind of like, you know, when like we talk about grace, we like know what it means. But if you were to be like, hey, Hannah, tell me about the grace of God. Um, I feel like I'm on like a talk show, not a talk show, like a game show, and I'm like, um, can I phone a friend? Can I Google it? Can I? I just need a second to get my thoughts together. Sometimes it's just not on the tip of our tongue. So I just want to give a little bit of framework so that as we continue our talk today, we're all on the same page. Sound good? Yeah? You guys are having fun so far? Great. Me too. <laughs> I think. Um, I am guys, I'm having lots of fun. Okay. Identity ultimately is the concept of who we are. Again, so vague. Please don't come for me. Pastor Matt, decide the topic. But really it's, (laughs) it's discerned by who, like what gives us our value, what we put our value in, what gives us our worth? Where do we find our contentment? Where do we find our purpose? Look at all of these categories that can summarize a piece of us trying to like Put together our fragmented identity. It shows that there's so many categories, that there's so many ways and places that we can actually put our identity in things that are not Christ. All right? But the best way I find to identify where we are placing our identity is to evaluate what and who we worship. This is this is good. You ready? Whatever we worship ultimately becomes what we are discipled by, and what we are discipled by ultimately shapes and molds us into who we become, a.k.a. our identity. And so if our eyes are fixated on the cross and our eyes are fixated on what Jesus did for us, then ultimately we are being discipled by his teachings, by the word of God, by our community of like-minded believers, and then that hopefully makes us more like Christ But when we get caught up putting our identity in things that are not of him, then all of a sudden, again, we are being discipled by things that are not him, and then we start to look like things that are not him, right? And this happens sometimes knowingly and sometimes unknowingly. And I believe when we're talking about our identity being rooted in Christ, we have to acknowledge that it is an ongoing process. It's something that requires reflection because we have wandering eyes. And hear me, hear me, what Christ did on the cross, that's final. Like, we can stand in absolute assurance, we can stand in boldness, we can stand in confidence that what he did on the cross, and our identity in that, it's its done. It is finished, like he said. His grace is over us. When God sees us, our sin is as far as the east is to the west, or the east to the west, or whatever the east and the west is here. I'm not a compass, but you get you get the point. That's final. But the thing is, it's when our eyes shift and waver from being on him and on what he did for us to other things, to things of the world. And that's where things get messy. And that's what we see in scripture over and over again. It's not oftentimes when we talk about identity or even idolatry, we think it's turning our back on God and being fixated on these idols or these things that are not of him. But in reality, in scripture, it's oftentimes God and. It's the Israelites worshiping Yahweh, God, God, but also, worshiping this God, this God and this God and this God and this God, and that's where things get messy. And that's why it requires us to constantly be on guard and constantly be reflecting and just like taking the moments of humility to check our hearts. Sound good? Great. Wonderful. Gotta get, oh my goodness, I have so many things up here. It's too, I made my font way too big on these papers, guys. Unnecessary. Anyway. <sighs> What we need to worry about is when our eyes wander and waver to the things not of God, um, ultimately we miss out on the blessing of having our focus fully fixed on him. And we're going to see this in the story of Leah. Time to set the scene, though. All right. Genesis 29, verse 31 to 35, if you have your Bibles, you're chilling there. You're still going to be chilling there for a little bit. It's okay. We're going to go back a little bit in Genesis, but I'm just, I'm just going to bring you through it. It's, it's kind of like my translation, my understanding. Read it for yourselves, Please. Please. But what we see is we see in Genesis God go to a man named Abraham and he's like, Hey, again, this is gonna be my translation, are you guys ready? It'll be it'll be the Bible, don't hear what I'm not saying, but I might throw in some slang words that you're like, I did not see that in ESV or NIV. Anyway, he goes to Abraham and he's like, Hey, your descendants, the children that you will have, they will end up being my people, Israel. Cool, awesome. Abraham goes on and he has Isaac. And Isaac goes on, sorry, skipping you, Isaac. Isaac goes on, and he has Esau and Jacob. Then Jacob goes on to marry Leah and Rachel, who are not just, like, not only is he in a polygamous marriage, they are sisters, and they are his cousins, um, because the Bible was a wild ride back then. But we're going to backtrack a little bit, because I think it's important just to look at the character of Jacob. Again, we're going to do it in, like, five seconds. It's going to be great. The only word I can say for him from the platform that is appropriate is he is a little bit of a turkey. He's a turkey. If you know the story, he's a turkey. And so he has an older brother named Esau. And his father, Isaac, I know a lot of names. It's like watching a reality TV show and you have no idea who's who and what's going on. But bear with me. Isaac, their father, is getting of old age, and his eyes aren't working properly, he's getting to the end, and so it's time for him, as custom, as culturally done, to give the inheritance, the blessing, to the eldest son, which is Esau. Now, mind you, Jacob has already tricked Esau out of the birthright, which you can go ahead and read earlier on, Um, so thanks, Jacob, for that, but then... Esau is ready to get this blessing. He is told by his father, "I need to go out and go hunting to make a beautiful meal, which is a part of the custom." And so Esau is all—he's the, out there hunting, and Jacob and his mom cook up this plan to steal the inheritance. And so they pretend to be—pretend ja- to, to be Esau. And Esau apparently is a very hairy guy, so they put goat hair on Jacob's arms and make him feel. Um, like Esau. I wanted to make a joke that I understand because I have to pluck my eyebrows like three times a week or else it's just chaos. And my husband was like, are you sure you want to make that joke to all these people? Um, Yes, babe, I did it. Anyway, Esau's a hairy guy, all right? So Jacob puts his goat hair on, goes to his father, and his father's like, wow, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. So sure, I guess I'll give you the inheritance. Mind you, he's of old age. His eyes aren't working properly. It's fine. So Jacob ends up getting the blessing. And it's not like today's world where it's like, oopsies, just kidding, JK, I'm going to take it back. Like this is done, sealed, delivered, the end. So imagine how Esau feels when he comes back home to find out everything that he is owed, being the firstborn, is absolutely taken from him, and he can't do anything about it. He's royally PO'd. Can I say that from the pulpit? He's, he's PO, guys. He's really upset to the point where he's like, hey, I'm going to kill you. And not in the way that you say to your siblings. Like this guy, he, he meant it. And so Jacob's like, got to go. And he flees to his uncle's house. This is where we get to the story we're talking about. But I wanted the context here. He flees for his life, even though he was a turkey. And he comes across Rachel, his cousin, Good times. And he just thinks she is the bee's knee. She's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. And so he goes to his uncle, Laban. I know a lot of names, but honestly, just you can forget them. It's fine. You can forget my name. It's fine. I won't be offended. Anyway, he goes to Laban and he's like, hey, let's strike up a deal here. I'll work for you for seven years if I can have her hand in marriage. And so Laban's like, sure, I get, I get free work for seven years. That sounds wonderful. And then you can have my daughter. Wonderful. Um, so Jacob does that, and scripture even says that it was but days for him because of his like love for Rachel. How romantic of him. Except for he's a turkey, remember? I don't think it's that romantic. Anyway, he goes through the process of working these seven years, but days for him because of his love. It's like Shakespeare wrote this. He didn't. And then, <laughs> sorry guys, that was not in my notes as well. Um, anyway, and then he goes to Laban, and he's like, all right. I've paid my dues. It is time for you to give me my wife. There is a feast that is held. I wanted to pay attention to the fact that it doesn't say wedding ceremony. There is no like. Um, there's again, see, sleep deprivation. My brain sometimes ceases to function. But there is no like wording of the bride being present and a feast at that time culturally would have just been the men. And so then it comes to the moment, the wedding night, time to consummate the marriage. And uh, Laban pulls a fast one because it was culturally not okay or it was a slight if the younger sibling or younger sister was married before the older sibling. And so Leah is actually brought in and marriage is consummated. Jacob wakes up the next day not impressed. This is not Rachel. This is not who I worked seven years to be. And honestly, here's the one moment where I have some compassion for Jacob. I'm like, all right, buddy. That would be very challenging. But note, and this is a side note from what we're talking about, but it's a good one. Sin has consequences no matter what. Obviously, we get to like have the, we have, are on this side, sorry, of the cross. We know that we have grace, we have forgiveness in Christ, but sin still has consequences. Jacob, the deceiver, ends up getting deceived. Oh, the irony. Poor Jacob. Just kidding. That's pretty unfortunate for him. So he's upset, and so he goes to Laban, and he's like, hey, what in the world, Laban? And so Laban's like, all right, how about this? You wait this week of your marriage situation, and then you can marry Rachel, and then you have to work for me, though, for another seven years. And so he does exactly that, and that brings us to the story that we're going to dive into. I do want you guys to know, though, that the verse before um, it said in verse thirty, it says so. Jacob went into Rachel also, aka consummates the marriage because the Bible is spicy, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. Also, scripture does earlier make mention of the fact that Rachel was known for being like more beautiful, and she was so beautiful in appearance. And it talks about Leah being tender-eyed. There's a lot of like discussion and argument from scholars about what that in fact means, whether or not the Bible was straight up calling Leah ugly or was saying that she's beautiful but in her own way, but Rachel was more attractive by whatever standard of the time. Regardless, we see that there's already this comparison where Rachel is more desirable. And then Leah ends up marrying her husband who then wants her younger sister um, and not her. So he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. All right, jumping into the passage of Scripture that I literally told you guys about like 15 minutes ago. But we're having fun, right? Yeah, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. This passage rocks my socks. That was lame. It's okay. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Pay attention to the pattern here. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son, and this time she said, This time I will praise the Lord. And therefore she called his name Judah, and she ceased bearing. There's a couple things I just want us to pay attention to in this passage of Scripture. I want us to pay attention to the fact that our God had mercy on Leah and saw the injustice done to her, saw the life that she was living of being second, of being unwanted, of being rejected, of being unloved. He saw the desperation that she had to win her husband's affection, and so he opened her womb and gave her a child. And obviously in today's culture, children are a beautiful thing, but I feel like we have a lot more empathy and understanding for those perhaps who choose to be child-free, or we have more understanding of what barrenness or infertility looks like and the different elements that are involved in it. But in that culture, there's a couple things we just got to remember. We got to remember, unfortunately, (laughs) women were... Property to a degree of the men. They were under, yes, obviously there's submission. There is like the biblical head of the household and today as Christian believers, but at that time, like the authority was fully on like the your brother, your husband, your father, your sons, even if your father if your husband, sorry, was to have passed. And so bearing children did give you a form of status. It was something of honor that was it was a great gift not only cuz you have a child but also because of the status that you're given and so we see that god had mercy towards her in situation and he gave her a child not just a child though she he gave her sons and like we mentioned sons do give you a form of protection i know we're jumping all through the bible here but i just want us to pause and think of the story or the book of Ruth, and the story of Naomi. We see Naomi lose her husband and all of her sons. And so she's very aware of her status as a widow and her lack of protection and her lack of being able to actually benefit and properly provide and help her daughter-in-law. So she tells her daughter-in-law, hey, go back to your home country. Go back to your father's house. Maybe remarry, depending on what customs were happening. I'm going to go back to my nation, because being a foreigner and a widow is the only thing worse than being a widow. Um... And that's why it was so profound when Ruth decided to come with her, and I share that story just to paint the cultural setting that, like, sons had the ability and, um, sorry, having sons gave you a form of protection as a woman if your husband were to pass. There's also a bunch of other crazy rules and laws and things that happened where, like, if your, if your husband were to die and he was the eldest, the younger brothers could marry you, and if you were to have a kid, it would be considered your husband's kid, and... It was wild. But as a woman, you wanted that. You wanted to be under that protection. So Leah had a lot, especially compared to Rachel. She had children. She had sons. She had status. She had protection. But it wasn't enough. She was desperate and fixated on gaining her husband's affection to feel whole. And that's what's so incredibly powerful about the fourth son. As we saw when we read that, we saw this this constant pattern of her giving birth, baby-making machine, just popping them out, just being like, hey, maybe now my husband will love me. Maybe now my husband will feel attached to me. Maybe now my husband will want me because I've given him these sons. But at the fourth son, something different happens. She doesn't say that. She doesn't have that attitude. She doesn't have that approach. Instead, she says... I will praise the Lord. There is an identity shift that happens. Leah's focus is no longer on what she has, her fertility, and what she lacks, not being able to have her husband's affection. It shifts to having her eyes set on God and using her life to praise him. That's when something powerful happens, not just the birth of her son. Are you ready for this? I have, guys, I have heard this preached about, I have read this story, and for some reason, and maybe you're way more knowledgeable than I am, and if so, congratulations. That's incredible. But I did not make the connection until now that something powerful happened, not just for her own soul, but in God's bigger plan, because Judah, the son, That when she had the attitude of, I will praise you, even though I'm unwanted, even though I'm rejected, even though I'm unloved, even though I've been seeking for something to fill me, and it's only bringing me emptiness and pain, now, God, I will praise you. It is that son, Judah, that ends up being in the lineage of Christ. Which means, you're telling me Leah, again, unwanted, rejected, unloved, she is the one who is a part of the lineage of Christ. She is literally a part of Christ's family. How beautiful is that she was used to bring Christ to this earth so that he could be rejected, so that he could be unloved by some, so that he could die on that cross so that we can find full fulfillment, healing, like salvation, all of the good stuff in him. What a blessing. But here's the thing. She didn't see that or understand the legacy she had in her lifetime. Not at all. But God was so faithful to use her. A major shift happened when she rooted her identity in God and her purpose in praising him. Not in what she lacked and not in what she even had to offer, but God alone. Dude, I have goosebumps. It's so good. When our enoughness and our contentment and our purpose comes from Christ, we can withstand the storms of life. We can have joy in circumstances even if they are miserable. And hear me, sometimes we think joy means happiness. But in reality, I believe a better translation is that we can have hope in those situations that want to rock us off our boat, whatever saying we want to use. And we also can be confident in who we are, no matter what the world tries to say. Because what we lack and what we have to offer, they're not the way we measure our enoughness. It's no longer about merit. It's about his grace. And in that place, we experience his peace because we're no longer striving and we also have clarity of our purpose. Amen. Right? So freaking good. But hear me, hear me. We have to stand on guard and be aware of the temptation to let our eyes wander. Because if we stopped here, we're like, yeah, Leah, add a girl. Wonderful. If you keep reading, oh, geez. <sighs> That's the thing about scripture that's very encouraging, though, okay? We hear these stories, and then we read them, and we're like, they're very human, yet God used them, and God loved them, and so thank goodness he can love and use me. That's a side note. But Leah goes on afterwards to have a conversation with her sister where she's like, hey, my son found this plant that you seem to want. Apparently, it had fertility properties. Um, How about we do a Tradesies, and you give me our husband for a night so I can get pregnant, And then she goes on to have more kids, and her attitude is back to the place of maybe now my husband will love me. Maybe now he'll be attached to me. It's important to recognize how easy it is if we don't take the time to reflect and to be, again, my brain not functioning. The word has escaped me. For us to just be rooted, there we go, in our identity in Christ, it's so easy to have our focus waver and get caught up in the things that are not of God and spend our lives striving after things that just bring no fruit. Or bring pain. They do bring fruit, but it's not the kind that we want. So, let's be honest with ourselves. Are your eyes are our eyes truly? I mean truly fixated on Jesus. And I know there's a lot of you here that you have you have walked the walk. You have been with Christ for a long time and I whew, I would just dream one day of having that kind of faithfulness and that steadfastness. I know it's so easy when we hear a talk on identity to kind of be like, "Been there, done that. My identity is in Christ. 1000% it is." Yeah, for sure. You are saved. You are his. But are your eyes fixated on him? Are they fully devoted and like on him? And it's okay to say, I mean, it's not okay to say no, but it is okay to say no because we're human and it happens. So, will you be honest with me as I ask these questions? Are your eyes fixated on Jesus? Or have you lately been finding yourself fixated on the circumstances of life, or the busyness, or the hard? Or even on the indulgent joys. And guys, life is meant to also be enjoyed and it's not a bad thing by any means. But is that where you're finding your identity and your purpose? Are you fixated on what you lack? Are you trying to root your identity in material objects? That house, the car, the clothes, whatever, even financial security. Are they fixated in a promotion or a position at work? in your political views and your desire to be right, in your knowledge of what you know about a certain topic, or maybe perhaps even in your willingness to serve at church. It's a beautiful thing, but if our fixation is on how we show up and we serve and we earn God's love, we're we're missing the point. We're slipping from that place of knowing that, no, actually, you were bought with a price, and that's enough. What he did is enough. It's not about us and our enoughness, because we'll never be enough. And you see, Leah missed out on the beauty of what she did have. She had so many children. She did have the status. She did have the protection, because she was too busy worshipping. Remember what we said earlier, worshipping her husband's affection over God's. Remember, Leah wanting her husband's love, it wasn't inherently bad. Is it not a normal thing to want to be loved by your husband? But the fixation above God is what caused the issue. Is God truly enough for us? Honestly. And it's easy to say yes, but does our lives, do our lives reflect that? Does where you put your time, your energy, your resources, your finances, your joy, your meaning from life, a.k.a. your worship, does it reflect that? And now, before you think I am the Debbie Downer of all Debbie Downers, oh boy. I'm challenging us to sit in this because when our eyes are wandering, we spend our days chasing after things that will only leave us empty. We miss out on the fruit that comes from the closeness with Jesus. And I don't want you to miss out on the beautiful experience of being in his presence. I don't want you to miss out on the fact that when the trials of life come, and they will come because life is tragic. If you've lived long enough, you know that you can be rooted and you can't—you don't have to be swayed and torn apart when the trials of life come because you know that you are rooted in Christ and what he's done for you, that he is enough and he will give you what you need to get through that circumstance. That's why we must regularly take inventory and ask, is my identity rooted in Christ? Am I worshiping God alone? And so, when it comes to Mother's Day... I got like five more minutes in me. Okay, guys? You doing good? Doing okay? I know I was just coming down with like a hammer, but it's because being close to the Lord and having like being free from the things of this world that we want to put our identity in, It is there's nothing sweeter. And I say that as somebody who 1,000% places my identity in things not of him, and I am convicted regularly. But when it comes to Mother's Day and speaking to mothers, I, I have a little bit of an unpopular opinion, but hear me out. Motherhood is not your full identity. All right? It is a beautiful part of it. Guys, it is my favorite part, apart from obviously being bought by the blood of Christ. (laughs) But we have to seek our identity in Christ first, and from there we see the holy purpose that is motherhood right? I'm going to say it again. We have to seek our identity in Christ first and from there we see the holy purpose that is motherhood because motherhood is always evolving. The authority, the responsibility, the level that we're needed by our children, it looks so incredibly different with my three-year-old than it will when my kid is 33, right? And if we try to parent our kids with the same authority and responsibility and that need to be needed, we can actually cause a lot of damage in the relationship with our children, like, on a lighter note, my kid wants to wear a Spider-Man sweater to church. And, I mean, I should be a kind parent. Be like, sure, do you. But I was like, no, I have a cute shirt for you. Let's wear this. And he's wonderful and peaceful. And peaceful, sorry. He's wonderful and he, like, took it like a champ. However, I can't go to my 33-year-old and say that. Right? Right. That's a silly example. But you guys know what I'm saying. Because <laughs> if we don't recognize this, if our identity is in our status as mothers and are being needed we risk putting expectations on our children to fulfill our need to be wanted, to be loved, to be enough, we can end up like Leah, using her children to fulfill a part of her that felt like it wasn't enough, that was lacking. That's not their responsibility. That's Christ. He's the only thing that can be enough for us. I once heard, actually, that children are on loan to us from the Lord, and it rocked me. We have them for a short time, but then we send them off to be their own individual in society. And from there they get to choose how they live their lives. And they even get to choose whether or not they want relationship with us. That terrifies me some days. Jeez, hormones. <laughs> but I know that if I continue seeking and growing in my relationship with the Lord, I can give him those anxieties and hear me? Hear me? These words that I'm saying, they sound really pretty, but they're not easy. And obviously, obviously, I am not in that state. And there's some of you who know that journey. And I don't mean to be ignorant about the way I'm talking about it. I mean to highlight it because that is a painful, lonely, hard road to walk. Ooh, that wasn't in my notes, but the Lord is doing something. What a sweet gift that we can give the Lord those anxieties that we can trust that he will protect our babies no matter what and no matter where they go. And if they choose not to be in relationship with me, I can know that I am still loved and I am still chosen by Christ. I can rest in that assurance despite the pain that might come with that situation. A couple more things and we're done, guys. Last, Last page, okay? Last page. If our identity isn't rooted in Christ overall, it can shake us on the days where we feel like we do not have what it takes. Whether that's simply just being so spent and knowing that, like, your children, especially with young children, they're your responsibility. You've got to show up. You don't have the choice. Or whether that's coming upon a circumstance in life that is tragic. That you literally are like, Lord, this is impossible. I don't even know how to get through this myself. Not alone, like, lead my children through it. If we're not rooted in Christ, it can cause us to run to every single resource, blog, guru, book, even like well-meaning advice from somebody before going to Christ and seeking his comfort and his guidance. It can lead us to trying to nurse our own pain with things that are not of him. Things that are of this world that will make us feel good for a second. But like even Jacob The sin has consequences, and so when we get wrapped up in those things trying to nurse our own souls, we can find ourselves in a deeper pit than before. We have to be rooted in Christ and trust that no matter what comes our way, He has gone before us. He has gone before you, and He is with you in that circumstance. All right, you guys ready? This is like the last big... If our identity isn't rooted in Christ overall, we are going to struggle greatly when our children come to us as adults maybe teenagers, maybe younger, opening up about the ways that we hurt them and the ways that they feel like we failed them. We risk acting out of pride and dismissing them and possibly damaging our relationship if our identity isn't who we are as a mother and our need to be good enough and not in Christ's hands. Because being right and being righteous don't always coincide. One time, again, guys, I know I said I'm almost done. I promise I actually am almost done. But one time, I was in a conflict with somebody. And if you know me well, you will know that I'm the type of person, like, I see my wrong before I ever am like, no, I'm right in this. Like, I'm like, actually, I suck as a human being. I'm trash, which the Lord needs to work on because that's also a form of pride, just insecurity. Anyway, so you'll know that what I'm about to tell you is not in my nature. And so I had this conflict with somebody. And I, no word of a lie, I knew Dead fast. I was right in that scenario. Like, if we were to go in front of a jury, they would be like, Hannah, you're right. That person, guilty. Like, I honestly, I was so convinced. And I remember I was going on a walk and I was giving it to the Lord because I was still frustrated about it. And that's when he spoke those words to me Being right does not always equate righteousness. And he reminded me of the story of Jesus and Barabbas. If you don't know, on Jesus' proceedings, like legal proceedings, when he was arrested to the point of him being crucified, there was an opportunity as customs on Passover for a prisoner to be released. They had the opportunity, the Jews had the opportunity to release Jesus, who had technically done nothing wrong except for upset some religious leaders, or Barabbas, who was known to cause some trouble, whether he was a robber, a murderer, regardless, he had done some things. And the Jews chose Barabbas. It was not right. It was not the right choice, but God had a greater plan. The cross had to happen. So we must so we might believe that we are fully right in a scenario with our grown children, but God might be asking you to lay that at the cross because having a relationship with them matters more but it is only from a place of closeness with the lord and humility and knowing that our identity is not in us as mothers but in what he's done for us on that cross that we can distinguish that that we can hear holy spirit making that clear to us and when we fail and we will fail and many of you might have stories about how you feel you have failed we can trust that in our failure he is faithful relationships can be restored Hearts can be healed. Impossible situations can be overcome because nothing is impossible for our God. But we must humble ourselves before him. Amen. So mothers, I pray that with the same zealousness that Leah sought the affections of her husband, will we, no matter our situation, no matter if we're in diapers or we are t- changing the diapers of our grandchildren, will we have the same zealousness for, the, for our love for Jesus? I pray that we'll the same zealousness that Leah sought for the love of her husband, that we will seek the love of Jesus. That was a lot. <laughs> it was wild. It was a wild ride. But I hope that when we leave today, I hope you don't feel it was too heavy, all right? But if you do, I pray that our God, he is just so sweet. And actually, these children are going to come in and be super, super sweet, so you'll forget everything that it'll be great you'll be like it's fine um but may we be reminded that what we worship where our eyes are fixated it does disciple us and it ultimately creates our identity so will we just today take a moment to recalculate like our annoying gps's when we make a wrong turn (laughs) will we recalculate and pivot constantly to keep our eyes fixated on Christ. It sounds so easy. It's something you hear all the time. But when we put it into practice, it can genuinely be absolutely life-changing. I'm going to take a moment to pray. Hey, guys, 42 minutes. That's supposed to be 40 minutes. That wasn't too bad. No, sorry. I mean, I went over time, so I don't deserve your applause. Um, Okay, I'm going to take a moment to pray. And Pastor Matt, please. Feel free. Take this mic away from me. That would be great. All right. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Thank you for um, the hearts and the minds and the ears that are here. I pray no matter what, Lord, that there will be something that they can take away, that they can just feel encouraged um, just to draw closer to you. Even if they are already so incredibly close to you, Lord, will they know that they can still draw deeper still, and there's so much beauty in your presence and for those that some of the things said today really hit home, and it's, it's tender and it's painful, well, we've been reminded again that you are in control. You are sovereign over it all. You are sovereign over this world, and this this is just but a moment. We are living for eternity, and we believe that there will be restoration on the side of eternity, that we will see children that we have lost. We will see mothers that we have lost on the other side of eternity, Lord. Will you be with us? Will you comfort us? We love you and we pray It's all in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Woo!